Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and fellow video essayist Tom Vanderlinden from the channel Like Stories of Old that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about Mark Webb's romantic comedy, 500 Days of Summer. Tom, what made you interested in going back to 2009 and talking about this kind of indie classic romantic comedy from another era? (laughs) What now definitely feels like another era, I think, watching it. Yeah, I didn't realize it was so long ago. This is just one year after the financial crisis. Like it, 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 it there's a still yeah. like a sense of optimism to it that I, that feels ancient now <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> but but no, I I thought it was a was going to be a nice change of pace to do a romantic comedy or something along those lines. And when I rewatched Five Hundred Days of Summer, I was like surprised also at how short it was like it's 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 such a tight 90 minute movie and i've really been missing those (laughs) so yeah and i I think it still has some interesting reflections on relationships and especially from a male perspective like what is a man's position in dating in forming a relationship in kind of relating their self to another person and all that stuff that we're I'm sure we're going to get into. But yeah, overall, I still think it's a sweet little movie and I still really enjoyed watching it. And yeah, I thought it would be, especially given how much time has passed I and seeing as the romantic comedy is a genre that kind of, that does not tend to age as well as some other genres, I thought it would be fun to revisit it. Yeah. It definitely feels like a kind of movie. I mean, romantic comedies are still around and we'll probably talk about this more as we get into the film. But I think both of us thought of another movie we discussed not long ago, The Worst Person in the World, kind Mm -hmm. of in relation to this one. And they're similar in some ways, like both kind of use interesting structure and like storytelling devices that are, you know, contextualize the story. They're both kind of romantic comedies. They're both kind of deconstruction of like romance a little bit, but also they couldn't possibly feel like more different movies, I think, in terms of like overall tone almost or outlook on the world. So there's a lot here that's interesting to kind of look back on and reflect on. And yeah, like you said, it's it's a very like well-written and structured movie. The, the filmmaking is great. The, there's a lot of fun like ways it plays with not not just the like non-linear structure of how it tells the story, but the way it frames certain scenes is very fun. So yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive into it and talk about the kind of those things, but then the deeper elements of like what it says about relationships and how that has aged and those kinds of things. So 500 Days of Summer, we follow Tom Hansen, a greeting card designer who secretly wants to be an architect. He hasn't quite figured life out and he meets Summer, who is an intern or a as like a job, assistant, at, assistant yeah. job, at least at the place where Tom also works. They meet, they fall in love, or at least Tom believes he f- has found his soulmate, the girl of his dreams. He, he immediately knows like that's the girl of, that he's going to fall in love with. Problem is, she doesn't believe in love. She doesn't want a relationship. So that generates some conflict, obviously. And spoiler alert, at the end, it's a, or the movie itself at the beginning says it's a story about boy meets girl, but it's not a love story. And indeed, at the end, they kind of break up. There is a moment there where it seems like they're going to get back together, but then there's a twist where it turns out that Summer is engaged to someone else. And this leads to Tom having to move on, and that's basically the end. Although he obviously learns like some. He's grown as a person, he's applying for a new job at an architecture firm, and there he meets autumn yeah super uncoincidentally but <laughs> <laughs> very subtle uh, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> he very meaningfully meets another person and that's the end that's an interesting aspect of this film that maybe we can start with is kind of the i think one of the things that's interesting to me about it is in a sense it's kind of cynical or presents itself as being kind of cynical Mm -hmm. or trying to deconstruct romance in a way where it's like it's like oh this isn't a love story and it's kind of setting up tom as like having this like ideal romance that he's encountering and then that is turning out not to be like 
what he imagined it to be and he's like by the end he's questioning the very nature of like his idea of love and mm -hmm. what that is but overall the tone of the movie isn't cynical it's like it's having fun and being a fun romantic comedy in the moments when like tom is like buying into that narrative or when the relationship is working Mm -hmm. And then by the end, you're kind of ending again on like a similar high note to kind of what you have towards the beginning of the film. So I think that like contrast plays into a lot of the elements of this that I found interesting about the kind of relationship between I've been trying to figure out what this movie is doing and how much it is kind of the movie itself is kind of bought into the perspective mm -hmm. that Tom has in the movie and how much it's kind of trying to set up Tom as like this unfortunate character who has flaws in how he sees love. And the movie is about how that is like not maybe a good way to look at romance and how he like might end up needing to learn from that or does learn from that by the end. So I don't know, maybe maybe to explore that, we need to start by setting up like what is this ideal of love that yeah tom has and the image there yeah i think the movie as a whole definitely aims to deconstruct the tropes and the expectations of the romantic genre and right. i think it's maybe more so a comment on the movies that preceded it rather than an actual perception of love but maybe those two aren't as separated as you might assume because obviously we a lot of the stories reflect our own feelings and vice versa like we let ourselves be affected by the movies we see and so here we see tom who is this who's very clearly someone who believes in like a soulmate who believes in true love to some extent or at least he believes that two people can get together fall in love and make it work and live happily ever after whereas summer is the more down-to-earth rational one who whose parents are divorced, who recognized like a lot of parents are divorced right now and she's not buying into it. But she's more like the opposite end of the spectrum, like where she doesn't believe in that any kind of love is possible, which is also demonstrably false as, you know, a lot of people get divorced, but not everyone there. Is, there's plenty of right. people who find each other and make it work until happily ever after ends. Yeah. <laughs> so to put it short, like my especially seeing it now, like at the time I remember it feeling like more of a, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but more like a bit more controversial or more daring in its deconstructions of the kind of tropes that we see in that genre usually. But now looking back at it, it still feels, it kind of has its cake and eats it too, but right. by yeah. ending on a pretty conventional note, like it deconstructs the whole idea only to kind of reverse back at the end by saying like oh you're you weren't mistaken you just had the wrong person and yeah. in that sense it's not so much a story for me at least it's not so much a story about love as it is more of a story like a phase of love before you meet the real one like and that's i think that's interesting too in its own right i think there's a lot of people who have a story like that where they either everyone who, or at least most people who are with someone, they might have had relationships before. Like they've had relationships with people who didn't end up being the one, or at least not the one they're dating right now, or plan to date for the foreseeable future. And they might themselves have been like the person before the real one for someone else. And so I think that's, at the time, I thought that was the most interesting aspect of that story, that it explores not yeah. so much the happily ever after couple but the couple that came just before that and what that does to a person and how that might help them towards that next relationship that might be the one yeah 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 i think it's definitely interesting in how you don't usually get movies about those like mm -hmm. passing transient relationships and interestingly like that's part of where it connects again to um the worst person in the world where that's kind of how that movie we won't spoil that movie but that's kind of how that movie ends up being as well where it's about it's less about this happily ever after story and more about the process of relationships and stages or mm -hmm. or you know just a momentary relationship i think the interesting thing about the worst person in the world is and that's why i i thought of that movie while watching 500 days of summer if that is that for one it has a kind of inversed 
perspective like where that story is told from the woman's point of view yes and she also at least early on in the story so it's not a real spoiler but she also dates someone where he is the one who sees her as the the true love and she is the kind of the one who breaks it off and that's kind of what happens in 500 days of summer except here we see all of it from the guy's point of view like we see him trying to get with summer and she breaks it off and marries someone else or at least she enters into a relationship with someone else which also happens in the worst person in the world but yeah so i i think that might be the interesting starting point like how does tom's perspective on summer play into his experience of that transient relationship like what does he learn by having that experience that might or not, or the ending suggests that it sets him up for something better. So, like, what yeah. are the kind of like, what are his initial beliefs, and what are the lessons that he learns in his five hundred days of summer? So, this is something that, as I was watching, I was trying to figure out if the movie is falling into creating summer as a certain trope, or if this mm. is the point of the movie, and this is like kind of the lesson that the movie is trying to illustrate. Yeah, but I think Tom's image of summer is very much less about like actually her and knowing her and he seems to just immediately fall in love with not who she is but this idea of the romance that they're having together and like the idea of falling in love with her it's Mm. illustrated like really clearly there's a scene where they're laying in bed and she's like really opening up to him Instead of actually like hearing what she's saying in the movie, we hear his internal like dialogue Mm -hmm. where he's like, "Uh, oh, is she opening up to me more than she's ever opened up to anything else? And this is like over top of like the actual stuff that she's saying about Mm -hmm. herself. And this comes after she's like been interested in his career. Like, oh, you're, you're working at this greeting card place. Like, don't you want to be an architect? She's shown like interest in him and who he is and yet we never actually in the movie like find out very much about summer at all we just Mm -hmm. learn that she moved from the midwest we don't know anything about who she is where she comes from her family like what she aspires to in life and tom doesn't really seem to care either he mostly seems to care about her in terms of how does this fit into this idealistic Mm -hmm. like romance that i've basically like how can i make this about me Right. Yes. Yeah. And so I think in some sense, I think that's what like the movie is trying to Mm -hmm. like break apart and break down. It also feels like sometimes it kind of I don't I don't know. There's moments where it feels like it falls into that trap a little bit itself, too. And I can't quite like to me, the Mm -hmm. ending maybe isn't quite a strong enough note. There's no moment where it feels like Tom like like he he obviously has an arc towards the end because by the end he goes from like the main difference you see in him is at the beginning, he's doing all this kind of annoying, nice guy stuff where like, instead of just going and asking her out or being upfront with her about his feelings, he's like kind of playing music. She like, he's doing all Mm -hmm. these weird like things to try to get her attention. And then by the end, he, he just like goes up to the girl and asks her out. So there's like definitely a character arc there. And he seems to learn like some Mm -hmm. kind of lesson but I don't know if it if he fully has the realization of like what he was doing with Summer and why it wasn't working between mm-hmm. him and her. I don't know. I've said a lot there. So <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you feel about this? <laughs> There's definitely a big, I think one of the biggest pitfalls in romantic stories is that a lot of people tend to, or storytellers always tend to bring a lot of themselves into those. And I think uh, 500 days of summer too like one of the writers said like this movie was basically like 70 percent or something happened to him yeah and so the issue is that you tell the story even if you're trying not to you always end up telling it from one perspective and that can be okay if you really want the internal journey to be the of one person to be the point of the story and not so much the romantic involvement of both but historically like a lot of romantic comedies were made by men you know the hollywood white men who kind of have these sometimes they feel like these vanity projects where they dramatically 
explore their own relationships and their own past love life. And you can sense that kind of egocentrism through the screen. And that's why I think that's what a lot of people might be turned off by movies like that. There, there can be a narcissism that that they can communicate. And I initially liked how, as you said, I think 500 Days of Summer does try to really make that aspect, that kind of self-centeredness, that that, that kind of limitless or the limitations of one's own perspective. It tries to make that a part of the story. And but yeah, it's difficult to say like, does it if that still ends up like kind of objectifying the other person, like the woman in the story, usually to this vehicle for a man's progression or in for just this element to progress a man's internal journey, which is obviously what has been the biggest criticism of movies like this. Right. And there's there's some aspects of that where I think it kind of falls into the trap. Um, there's one scene in particular that reminded me of that movie. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's called There's Something About Mary. I haven't seen it, no. There's Something About Mary is a movie from 1998. And it has it stars Cameron Diaz as Mary. And she is this kind of ultimate dream girl. Every man she meets falls in love with her. And so the story is centered around one of those men. I think Ben Stiller played him. He's kind of the underdog. And he combats like with all the other men for Mary's love. And eventually he wins it. And there's an, I think it might be a direct reference even. There's a moment early on in this movie where Summer is described and she, you can, you get this little bit about her history and it turns out like every place she worked at this ice cream place and the profits went up by 200% or something like that, or she worked there and everything went much better and every street she walks into like heads will turn more than usually. And she's kind of portrayed as this magical creature that somehow is this force of nature that affects the world in some disproportionate way that kind of dehumanizes right. her and kind of elevates her as this capital W woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, that man like also see as a like a trophy or something to as a source of power almost to tap into. And that's obviously like a like I think that's a flawed perspective. Like that's exactly like the kind of narratives that men create for themselves like and to some extent again the movie does try to engage with that but i don't think it's it wasn't quite there yet at the time i think it does still like fall into the same flaws that it tries to engage with but yeah yeah there's also the trope called manny pixie dream girl manic yeah manic pixie dream girl yeah that kind of person is also often associated specifically with Zoe Deschanel, who plays yeah. Summer in this movie. I think she was a person, or she played a person who more classified more clearly as that trope in the film Yes Man with Jim Carrey, where she was like the literal kind of person. Like the manic pixie dream girl is basically like this magical, beautiful female creature that usually is attracted to some introverted guy who can't really express himself show socially and she kind of helps him to kind of blossom like to get him out of his shell and to yeah. essentially help him on his internal journey even though we learn next to nothing about her as a woman or human being in general yeah she definitely takes on a more naturalistic form in this film but it's there like she listens to weird music mm -hmm. and she she folds paper cranes in her you know makes <laughs> Her, her apartment, when the the scene where we go to her apartment is, is I feel like where it feels the most manic pixie dream girl, where it's just mm -hmm. like this like weird assortment of like oddball stuff. Yeah, she mm -hmm. definitely, she's definitely falling into that trope. Yeah, I think this movie, we're not going to come to a point of being like, does it or does it not deconstruct this? Because I think it mm -hmm. was trying to, but I think you're very much right in that like, it kind of only goes so far. And I mean, part of that is just like, the way these things have played out culturally like this has been part of a like change in how these kind of tropes or these ideas or these themes are depicted in movies and talked about in culture and i, I feel like this movie is like a stepping stone like yeah. maybe it's a step away from like you know more problematic or outdated maybe yeah yeah but it's still not like you know from our perspective now 
there's elements of it that mm-hmm. like the the one I thought about in particular that really stood out to me was the scene where they're at the bar and the other guy comes up and he's like hitting on her and she's like, no, I'm not interested. And he's like making fun of Tom. <laughs> and then eventually like Tom punches him yep. and Zoe Deschanel's character gets really upset about this. Summer gets very upset about about it. And they kind of have this fight about it. And she's like, I didn't need your help. You didn't have to like escalate that into a fight. And Tom's clearly seeing this as like, I, you know, was protecting your, you know, you know I was like being the man and like mm-hmm. protecting you know, getting your into a fight to protect her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you, you see this setup for that scene a lot in romantic comedies where also yes. like one issue that I have with that always is that then the other guy that hits on her is like ridiculously like grass and he's like this yeah super dumbed down jock who is like so obviously out of touch with any like maybe that's something women experience in in real life but it to me it's it seems like comically overdone but yeah i don't know it's definitely a trope he decks this this you know like <laughs> obviously terrible dude and and then he wants like he's like why are you mad and at that point, watching the movie, I forgot how it happened because it's mm-hmm. been ages since I'd seen it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is kind of like deconstructing this trope. It's a it's a counter to like this whole like masculine, like, you know, mm-hmm. ideal that still manifests itself. We just saw, you know, basically the Wilson, like this exact scene play out. Not exactly, but this scene play out at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. So like this is still like part of culture where people are yeah. like, I'm going to physically get violent in order to protect Mm -hmm. my woman quote unquote but then like the whole scene is kind of undercut because she comes back and apologizes for being upset about it and there's some tension there but like ultimately there's a scene towards the end where the little sister is telling him to like look back on the whole relationship and think about not just the good parts, but then there's this montage of the good parts and then the bad parts. Mm -hmm. And in the good parts montage, it includes him punching the other guy. And so it's like his image of like this ideal relationship, this like perfect romance includes like, oh, you know, boom, I'm the guy, I'm the man. (laughs) Like that was a moment for his character that was like, that was a part of it. And I don't know if like, and it doesn't feel like the movie's like critiquing that. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's, you know, that's a little bit yeah. what it is. Yeah, I think that overall, like for me, like as you said, we can go back and forth endlessly about like how specific tropes were successfully or yeah. unsuccessfully subverted or engaged with. But I think for me, the overall effect was still a very positive one. Yes. Like I definitely wouldn't say, like even if we're critiquing some elements of it now, I would definitely wouldn't say this movie is by any means like problematic like it has its maybe some rough edges or like some parts that have dated or have been illuminated more clearly by different movies by newer movies but i do remember specifically when i watched this for that first time like it was one of the first movies that really for me at least felt like where i that that kind of reflected the way i engage with relationships or at least with dating and romance at the time when i was like in my late teens early 20s and reflected it in a way that it also revealed something about my flawed ways of going about all that and especially like you mentioned the way he didn't know how to like express his feelings at first and he was like kind of trying to concoct (laughs) these situations and making these doing these convoluted ways to express or make some kind of connection and i remember yeah like i've been there like i've done that where i was like i see some like a girl somewhere like i'm like she smiled at me and like okay i'm gonna stand right there with my drink and then smile at her in like five minutes so that i don't see too like into (laughs) her like like i i remember that 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 sort of calculating voice in my head that's trying to rationally maneuver my way through a situation like that instead of just straight on like asking someone out or like expressing like your interest in someone like and i think that's like that's sensible that we do this especially like in a culture where it's still or at least generally still like the man who is expected to make the moves towards the women i think it's been changing a bit but there's still like 
a sense, at least in the perception of a lot of men, that they have to make a move, otherwise nothing happens. But they also can make like too direct of a move because that's because that's scary and might set you up for failure. So you kind of like have the you're kind of working around it, especially when you're younger and still insecure. Like you don't have you don't yet have the confidence to just straight up ask a girl out. So I I do remember really liking having that part reflected a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and also. Like one of my favorite scenes, uh, the one that I still remembered even after not having seen the movie for more than 10 years, is where he, this is at the point where he and Summer have broken up and he is invited to a party of hers. And then he goes to that party expecting like uh, to rekindle their love. And you see this, the movie kind of cuts into these two different frames. One of them has uh, like a title card that says expectations and the other one says reality. And that, yeah. to me, that was like the most gut-punching moment for me because i that's where I've been like dozens of times. Like you go into this, whether it's on a date or just like some party or you're going anywhere where there is some girl in your mind, that some girl that you, you've been like obsessing over or like been infatuated with and that you want to ask out and there's an opportunity coming up. And then that's the way that plays out, the way you set those expectations for yourself and then the way you often have reality subvert them, that's... I think a really interesting reflection, both of like, not just to give you like a reality check, but also to kind of confront you with the way you set those expectations in the first place. And yeah, like the, the real issue with all this situation is not the way reality played out, but the way you've been like obsessing over all this in your head and trying to force a situation that hasn't even had the chance to unfold yet. So at the time it was a really helpful movie for me and i think it made me a better person for it but again yeah it's still like it it might have been easier for me to connect with it on because it was such a masculine perspective and maybe there are parts of it that like maybe from a woman's perspective that might still feel like a bit eh, or a bit like incomplete or disjointed or whatever but yeah, I think at the time it was a good stepping stone for me to progress my own like love life to a more realistic or more reasonable place. I definitely agree that I think the overall ideas it's communicating, even if it might not feel quite up to the latest standards, it are it's generally a positive movement in the direction of like deconstructing this ideal of like or this nice guy kind of persona that I think Tom mm-hmm. is kind of falling into at the beginning where he almost has this sense of like entitlement about yeah. the relationship. And he thinks because he sees it as this like, you know, oh, I've fallen in love with you and this is destiny. This is fate. You know, we're soulmates that he kind of just expects all of it to align. And mm-hmm. it does come crashing down very beautifully in that that scene, which I love because that scene is such a great scene for showing how we do those kinds of things, even not in romance a lot of times we just have weird expectations <laughs> about how we want things to go and the feeling of being in that situation and like watching your expectations fall apart <laughs> is such a unique and yeah. lonely like feeling that i think everyone has experienced at some point and mm-hmm. i can't think of another like movie or moment that illustrates that so mm-hmm. so wonderfully so yeah i love that scene and i think like i do think there is yeah, I think it's engaging with these roles. Is Summer like a manic pixie dream girl? Yes, but it's also showing how like that is part of, I think, the problem here. Like mm-hmm. the relationship doesn't work out for Tom. And part of it is because he's stuck on like this image of her. But also it's just about him like refusing to accept what you see the whole time. Like she is very upfront and is like i don't want to date i don't want anything serious like the signs are there the entire time Mm -hmm. and like his mistake basically for the most part was just like not being willing to accept that as a possibility and even towards the end he's still like kind of upset when she's like she finds somebody else she gets engaged Mm -hmm. that's the big twist towards the end where like and he has this then like sense of resentment of like oh well I thought you didn't believe in like falling in love mm-hmm. in that way. And the shoe dropping is like, like, well, no, it's not about whether or not you believe in that kind of love. It's that she wasn't in love with Tom in that way. And like, 
I think he has to accept that like ultimately. And I, and that's, that's a hard lesson that like, I think everybody has to learn at some point in their life where, you know, a lot of us have an experience of like, you know, you like somebody, you might even fall in love with them. And then you can't engineer the situation or engineer the universe or be, do the right set of moves to like make it work out for you. It's just like, it's not happening and you just have to accept that and move on and there's not a lot of movies about that kind of dynamic i think yeah yeah it's hard to walk that line between like early on there's definitely that sense of entitlement that also leads to him projecting like undeserved anger towards summer where he's like when he's still like in the phase of getting to know her like he's spoken to her once or twice they're not even like really friends or dating even like that's still way in the distance and even then there's moments where he asked her there's one scene where he asked her like oh how was your weekend and she's like oh it was good and then he's so upset (laughs) about the way she said it was good like yeah he's making so many assumptions about her life that also in that that's also where you already see like his expectations being shattered somewhat not even by his reality but kind of different hints of reality almost that are enough to yet to kind of like throw a wrench in his the way he envisioned that whole thing working out and yeah you can see even there there's a lot of how quickly he switches from i'm gonna fall in love with this girl to oh no i'm guessing she's a bitch like what a shame like i don't even (laughs) care that i think that's the read the most problematic part in probably in the way like you can treat a potential lover Especially like that's historically a lot of the way uh, like men have treated women, I think, where like it goes the other way around too. But I think it's it's more predominant the other way around where or like more aggressively where men will switch between, oh, she's an angel or she's a whore. Like she can't be like a human being with complicated personality and complicated experiences. Or she has to be one of those extremes. Like she has to be either that that perfect woman that I want to be with or she's trash and I can discard her or something like that. Yeah. Like if, and that, that creates that kind of assumption or that image of women where if they don't live up to my expectations, then they are like the lowest of the load. And there are suddenly like, they become these targets for men to like, just put them down or whatever. I'm not sure to what extent the movie really discourages that kind of behavior. I do think he it kind of it's framed when Tom does it as him being overly dramatic and obviously in the wrong because we like his he has friends around him that comment on him like oh you you just you've talked to her twice like what are you why are you making these assumptions? I'm not sure if they say it literally, but there's these expectations that that is happening. So in that sense I do think the movie makes you like if you're identifying with Tom, you might like for me at least it made me reflect on my own like behavior and when or like to what extent I'm doing that. So I do think the right. movie does fall on like the good side or the positive side on that. But yeah, uh, yeah that might be a subjective take for depending on uh, who's watching it. Yeah, I think that's ultimately like for me, what I got out of this originally and Mm -hmm. still what I get out of it now, I think is overall generally pretty positive. But it's I'm not I'm also not the gender that would be like most maligned by, I think, the way the tropes might be harmful or Mm -hmm. or the way some of this stuff is set up. So it's going to be different for different people watching it and just depending on your perspective and experience and, and all of these things. But yeah, I imagine in the era of 2009, it was it's certainly a step in the right direction. And I think even now we see a lot of those uh, like positive qualities still come through. A lot of it for me just comes down to how Tom, the lesson that Tom seems to learn at the end. And I'm like, if I have any critique, it would just be that like, I would have loved to see a little bit more of like some kind of level of realization about Mm -hmm. his role in in why the relationship didn't work out or like how his expectations were and how he was framing things mentally were leading to issues and problems and like how he was kind of the problem and it wasn't summer but that's also i mean kind of like the way it ends is also kind of realistic like i think there's a lot of people who have that mindset and come out of it or like 
come out of a relationship like that, they don't immediately go like, oh, wow, I'm suddenly enlightened mm-hmm. that I see how, <laughs> you know, it was my expectations were toxic and, yeah. all, you know, whatever, whatever it was. They are probably angry and they maybe learn a little bit. And then hopefully the next time around, they like do a little bit better. And that's what we see Tom doing. So I think it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of realistic, I think, in this portrayal, too, of how like these kinds of things yeah. happen. So it's definitely within a, a specific perspective. But I think audiences, you know, if you're a smart audience, if you give this film to a smart audience, you know, they're going to be mm-hmm. able to see in a pretty clear, I think, productive way. Yeah, I agree that it would have been the ending could have been a bit more like effective. I also liked, as you said, that that we don't get this overly optimistic positive like i'm a changed person now kind of vibe and that because that's that's another thing i was going to say like it's it's hard to tell the difference between where you are being like irrationally angry based on your false expectations and where you are just genuinely hurt by another person and i can imagine like the final scene on the bench where at least where they have their final talk together that i can imagine that tom genuinely doesn't understand what changed for her and like how their relationship doesn't or didn't work out and so i do like the way it it kind of showed him as being hurt like and that's something i can relate to as well like just being like sometimes even if you understand or don't understand the situation like you can just be hurt by another person and that's just that and you just need to kind of have those emotions too like you can't push them aside like let's transform this into a more optimistic outlook on life where i'm now a hero has returned who has returned home from his journey and is now a smarter person like that's it's not always as easy as that and that's needs you need like time to adjust and that for me has been over the years that's become like more of a for me a more of like an like a realization that just time will eventually like heal all those wounds like a little bit like especially when i was like younger like 10 years ago or so when i was dating and it didn't work out like at first you're really like hurt by that and you think like oh she was the one what am i going to do now with my life right i'm going to have to write like grieving sympathy cards <laughs> as tom does <laughs> but if you've experienced that a few times you learn like to both you just become more realistic like you learn on the one hand to not set your expectations to these false high standards and to yeah. not elevate each woman you meet to this imaginary image of a perfect woman that you have and you just try to force her into it which also may lead to that false resentment that you really don't want to have and you learn that if it doesn't work out like you know you just have to give it time and it you know, you'll get over it yeah and then someday if you're lucky you might meet someone who sticks yeah <laughs> and i think there's a message there too that that kind of is reinforced by the whole like greeting card subplot Mm -hmm. where like he blows up at one point and kind of is like you know these greeting cards are all just like everybody needs these greeting cards because they they can't express how they really feel and i think that's kind of an arc in the movie that is a positive message in that like he starts out not being able to just like express how he feels about summer to summer like she only finds out because you know his friend when he's drunk like blabs and then like even then he kind of denies it and then she makes the first move and he's being sneaky and subversive and then by the end you know he's upfront about that and i think like that's generally a healthy message for everybody for life is like it's very difficult to be able to be open and honest about how we feel but generally that's better than just kind of like you know trying to signal your feelings to people in like, you know, in sneaky ways or like actually being able to, I mean, it's a cartoonish example of that, but actually being able to write out your feelings instead of just like signing a a greeting card or something Mm -hmm. is, you know, probably a better, a better way for us in society in general. There's a lot of heart here in a certain way. And, Mm -hmm. and it's funny. It's, there's a lot of great, little gags and the way the movie is constructed it's very satisfying the mm-hmm. non-linear approach where there's a yeah. lot of things where it sets up kind of almost the punchline first and then you see the setup later and it is a great portrait of how like things in a relationship or in a scenario can shift mm-hmm. over time 
we see bits and pieces of it falling apart first and then like i don't know the payoff the payoff of like having them eat pancakes at the beginning and then like that scene where he suggests they go eat pancakes and you see everything that led up to that moment and allowing the audience to piece all that together mm -hmm. i i really love and all of that still like i think works yeah. really well yeah it kind of does that sense where I, I think at some point they say it where you once a relationship kind of goes badly you start to look back and see if the signs were there already like if you knew right. from the beginning like where did it where the warning signs were and i think by having that non-linear structure like we know or we see like explicitly like this is gonna go wrong that's gonna go wrong they're gonna fight over this and then we get if we're shown like the good parts after then we already go in with that extra level of awareness to kind of spot those early yeah. mistakes which i think also contributes to what we've been talking about to the way tom sets up these expectations and the way he basically has a different story playing in his head than the one we're actually watching or the one that actually happens and yeah i also agree that the greeting card situation is a great metaphor for for what's going on with <laughs> once his life goes well like the first time he starts dating someone like he's you see Tom like sitting with every department, like coming up with the best possible line. And then when he's depressed, like I had to laugh so hard that once he's depressed and then his boss like calls him in and he's like, maybe you want to do these uh, sympathy card. And he says like, oh, misery, sadness, loss of faith, no reason to live. This is perfect for you. <laughs> it's a guy from, uh, what's his name again in the Avengers? He dies in the first Avengers movie, but then comes back in the, oh, in the Shield yeah. series. Phil Coulson, that's his name. Not to keep going back to mm -hmm. worst person in the world, but those scenes where like he first gets together with Summer, it, maybe it's like the first time they sleep together mm -hmm. or something. And the next day he's like dancing through the streets and everybody's like shaking hands with everybody. Like it reminds me so much of this movie is such an inversion of certain aspects of the worst person in the world where you have moments like that where she like pauses the world and it is kind of like running out but that's almost like mm -hmm. it's almost like the opposite effect of just like you know you're you're feeling the despair and the malaise and the you know the meaninglessness yeah. and but it's using these similar like kind of elements to illustrate that maybe that's something to mention here at the end is just kind of how like i think we've touched on it already but 500 Days of Summer definitely feels like a part of its time. Like it was taking me back to this, like you mentioned at the beginning, it was like the same mm -hmm. the year after the housing crisis, I think like, so this would have been being, was being made like right before the economy collapsed. Yeah, definitely written or like thought of way before, but yeah. Yeah. And you can just, even though it is this like sort of, deconstruction of the genre you can still just feel this sort of optimism in it yeah it feels very like 2009 2008 it, it still feels like it takes place in this safe bubble where we have these interesting young singles living in beautiful apartments and they have jobs and nothing in the world matters a lot to them like and yeah they're all really good at karaoke and <laughs> there's definitely an absence of worldly societal issues in this movie in a way that we don't see a lot anymore these days i think a lot of filmmakers feel the need to in some way or another comment on some social political or just general like societal issue that's currently important or currently like literally affecting the way we have relationships or the way we form attachments with each other and i think that's definitely an interesting thing to explore to what extent like changes in the world have led to us changing the way we interact with each other romantically or the way we just form connections and stuff yeah because yeah i, I do agree like it's, it's not to say that 500 days of summer is the perfect embodiment of a 2009 romance and the worst person in the world is the same for 2021 there's a general lack of romantic comedies that i can think of, of in recent years but yeah yeah it, it feels like they've all have this added layer of like it's a subtle sorrowfulness maybe 
like like some sense of world wariness that weighs into the way we also create attachments. What, what do you think about it? It was less surprising to me in terms of like, oh, you know, what it has to say about the 2000s or something, mm-hmm. but more like going back to that time, it, I was like, man, some of our, like, has our outlook to some extent become that that much bleaker? There's a little bit of a sense in which like it kind of has in some ways. And I think like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not watching the the kinds of romantic comedies that fit into the like optimistic mold. That's very possible. But like the only other one that I've seen recently that I liked was Palm Springs from like a couple of years ago, oh, which is yeah. similarly kind of like philosophically mm-hmm. an exploration of like that was a good one. sense of meaninglessness. It's maybe not quite as bleak as like the worst person in the mm-hmm. world, but there's a little bit, I don't know. It's interesting to see how things have shifted. Mm-hmm. The image of that's presented in 500 Days of Summer, I think is one that is increasingly like less, just feels kind of, rid- not ridiculous, hmm. but I don't know. It would feel out of place in a, in a lot of movies these yep. days, I think. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of the, the, the kind of progression towards a more realistic view about love it's not necessarily that love itself has changed in our perception but more so that we've maybe that it's more grounded in the rest of our lives like and that it's no longer divorced from maybe like financial issues like maybe like money was not an object like both of them had pretty beautiful or like to them satisfying living spaces they had they were employed which apparently paid enough for those earlier living conditions and they had money to spend on fun stuff and there wasn't yet a sense of worrying about the world or about their own lives or about their community and i feel like that's becoming an increasing part of the way we think about love as well like are you gonna bring children into this world or like that sort of stuff like i'm not saying we you should be pessimistic or not have children but yeah it does feel like there's more like elements to consider now than just like do I love this person or not? Yeah. And it's definitely interesting to see the way in which kind of culturally, I think the people's ideals and perspective have changed and see that reflected in even not the like super serious movies about relationships, but even in just the ones that are like, this is a relationship movie and it's supposed to be also a little bit funny. Mm -hmm. You know, we can kind of see that. So Times have changed since 2009, <laughs> or at least they feel like they have. I think, you know, maybe we'll meet back here in another 12 or 13 years, whatever it's been, and reassess yeah. what the romantic comedy is up to in 2030. <laughs> it's probably <Yeah. laughs> probably some something I can't yeah. even imagine. Based on the way Top Gun Maverick brought back the sincere action movie, maybe Tom Cruise will also bring back the sincere romantic comedy. <laughs> the romantic comedy. Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie is kind of, is our best hope for, for bringing back the, the romantic yeah. comedy. I've seen some images of it and it looks really strange, <laughs> but in a good way, in, a, in an interesting way. Yes. Yeah. I think it might be kind of amazing. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Who can, who can say? Final thoughts on 500 Days of Summer. We might get a sequel named 500 Days of Autumn at some point. Like that would be interesting. Yeah. They're remaking everything, yeah. you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is still around, Zoe Deschanel is still around. Why not yeah. bring back 500 Days of Summer and... Maybe f- fix those issues that we've had with the ending where... Because it, it right. does feel like the thing about, I'm not sure if I said it, but just in case I'm going to mention it again, the way she introduces herself as Autumn and the way it's, it's instantly meaningful to Tom yeah. and also to us as the audience is already a sign of... Like, so, like a bit of a regressive sign, like that should not mean anything if he's really learned that he doesn't have to look at yeah. all the, he, he, that love doesn't have to be this cosmic plan and it can just be two persons meeting each other and liking each other. But yeah. He maybe learns a little bit of like, a little bit about, I don't know, there's a deconstruction of like how his expectations and his perspective or his ideal of love is is playing a problem in this. But yeah, you're you're right. It's it's pretty much still there at the end. Like mm-hmm. Summer finds her, it's kind of magically finds her partner. She describes it as a very like our eyes met and I knew kind of experience. And mm-hmm. 
it's kind of being replicated there again at the end. So do we really escape that? Not really, which is ultimately that's kind of the that's kind of the romantic comedy or like romance film vision of love anyway. It's like or like mm -hmm. part of the whole problem I feel like it's setting up to begin with is like you believe that there's the one and it's all part of the plan and maybe we need a more practical uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. practical experience <laughs> or perspective of how things go. Yeah, it's definitely a genre that tends to try to deconstruct something only to end up in the exact same place. You know, people don't like <laughs> it's it's a hard genre to end with like a well, you know, they, ah, that's the thing that the worst person in the world kind of does where like I felt so weird at the end of that movie and mm -hmm. part of it is because I think it kind of refuses to do that sort of thing. And that's why most most of these movies I think don't do it is because we want to buy into a narrative as the viewer mm -hmm. that kind of involves this this concept of like yes there is a destiny or there is a plan or something yeah just like some we we desire some general sense of closure at the end of a story and a lot of the time like with romantic involvements that doesn't always happen or that isn't the reality we experience with them or with any kind of story really like our lives are always ongoing until they're not and then that's not the way we generally construct stories but yeah yeah so it's so to some extent it's it's in general issue with a lot of stories that try to reflect some aspect of our lived reality but yeah as long as it does it in a somewhat interesting and constructive way that we learn something about it then yeah it should be fine thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early and you get access to our monthly exclusive episode. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for CuriosityStream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more about that, just follow the link in the show notes and we'll see you again next time.